So I basically already preached my sermon. But there's that great, there's that great homiletical principle. Tell the people what you're going to tell them, and tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Back in the late 1990s, the whole country had end times fever. Disaster movies were hitting the big screen and they were making millions of dollars. Movies like Armageddon and Independence Day and Deep Impact. Fear gripped the nation over the Y2K computer bug, which in retrospect seems pretty quaint. Doomsday cults such as Heaven's, Heaven's Gate made a resurgence. And the Left Behind series of novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins made millions parlaying a scattershot theology of, of the end times into a story. Perhaps most notorious, the most notorious figure in these novels was the figure of the Antichrist, a politician who had blackmailed, manipulated, and crushed others in his bid for absolute power. This Antichrist was truly evil incarnate. Of course, these novels took major liberties with what the Bible actually says about the Antichrist. They more or less equated the Antichrist with the beast of the book of Revelation. There's a long Christian history of that, but we're not going to get into that. It doesn't really matter. For, the na for a nation looking for an enemy after the collapse of the Soviet Union, these novels were red meat. And the Antichrist in them was infinitely projectable. Whomever you held responsible for the moral decay of the nation, that person or group was possessed by the spirit of the Antichrist. Wasn't it obvious? It's pretty sad that Christians got cut up, caught up in this end times hysteria, and even more so after 9-11, when we had a face to put with, the, with absolute evil. Because what these novels say about the Antichrist has little to do with what John says about it. So what's going on with 1 John's use of the term Antichrist? If the author doesn't use it to describe a singular end times figure, what does he use it to describe? We have to remember 1 John's context again. Pastor Smith last week told you, that John's community was in a struggle against Gnostics. The term Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, the Greek word which means knowledge. These Gnostics claimed to have secret knowledge that led to salvation from this world of materiality, from this physical world. They had no high opinion of physical things. And while they had made, may have been attracted by some of Jesus' teachings, they could not accept the apostles' testimony that the one true God was incarnate in the man Jesus. It seemed beneath God's dignity to become human with all the bodily functions that came with it. Moreover, many of these Gnostics denied that the world was created by God at all. Chalking up the creation of such an obviously flawed world to some lesser incompetent deity. It was simply impossible in their view for God to become human. God is infinite, after all. Humanity is finite. 
God is immaterial. Humans are material. Salvation, in their view, was an escape from the created order, not redemption and transformation within it. And so they said that Jesus only appeared to be human. That whatever the apostles thought they saw, they actually saw only a phantasm, an illusion. Jesus the Christ, for to them, was a pure spiritual being without any material basis whatsoever. So he obviously couldn't have been born. He couldn't have eaten or drunk. He couldn't have suffered, and he certainly couldn't have died. Everything Jesus' followers thought they saw were tricks designed to deceive the ungodly, like what they used to say about dinosaur bones back in the day, That's, that they were put in the earth to trick us. That's what they thought about the appearance of Jesus, what they said was the appearance of Jesus. It isn't hard to see how this is dangerous and even deadly to Christian community. Because once you deny the reality of Christ's incarnation in the flesh, in the meat, it's not much of a leap to deny worth to any human being. If you have such a low opinion of the material world to begin with, how easy is it for you to demonize anyone you don't like? to see your opponents as irredeemably evil. This dishonoring and demonization of the other, this disregard for the material world, and this denial of the Christ's incarnation is the spirit of the Antichrist for 1 John. It's pretty specific. And there are a lot of voices out there that have this kind of spirit. You know what they are. I don't even have to say what the voices are. I only need to describe them. They say, for instance, that a certain group of people is just irredeemable. That they don't deserve to be called Christian or American or even human. That they have no place in our churches or our schools. That we won't be safe until we defeat them once and for all. That you're either with us or with them. That your worth is dependent on belonging to the right tribe. That if you're not in the right in the right tribe, on the right side, your utter garbage. That this, that this is an ideal picture of a human being, and if you don't measure up to it, well, too bad for you. You'll get canceled and you'll deserve it. Shouldn't this be obvious that it applies to all kinds of viewpoints? That this kind of demonic spirit is out there. It's also obvious that Gnosticism never really died out. It just went underground. Whenever you see an utter lack of respect and dearth of love for the human being and for the rest of creation, you can be sure that the spirit of Antichrist is active. You can be sure that Christ is being denied. But the incarnate Christ, the Christ that came in the flesh, is real. It wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't a dream. This Christ really was born, really did suffer, and really did die for the sake of the world. And he still sends his advocate, his Holy Spirit, to guide us into the truth. The same Spirit is what helps us to test 
the spirits of the age, as John, 1 John puts it, to discern what is of the Spirit of God and what is not. The Holy Spirit, the voice of the incarnate Christ, made known to us through physical means, like bread and wine, water and word, helps us to discern truth from falsehood, the life-giving from the death-dealing. The criteria are very simple. As I've already said, whatever affirms Christ in the flesh is from the Spirit. And when we truly affirm Christ in the flesh, we do more than just say it. We, tr- we truly affirm him who came to save us in our humanity and not apart from it. We have a respect and a love for our fellow human beings, even if we can't stand them sometimes. Whenever we truly affirm Christ in the flesh, who is the image of his Father, who so loves the world, we have our love and respect for the rest of the created order. God in Christ, through the Spirit, loves you and loves me. Not as some sort of ideal human, a standard to which we can't reach, but as the individuals we are, with every flaw we've got, in our strength, in our brokenness, in our health, in our sickness, in our hope, and in our despair. God in Christ loves us and sends us the Spirit to guide us. When we remember that God loved us so much that he sent his Son in Christ for us, to redeem us, to make us his own, to save us in our humanity, we will remember his love for everyone else as well. Let's pray. Lord God, you love the world you made so much. You love the world you made so much that even in its even in its bitter opposition to you, you became human in the man Jesus to redeem the whole created order, including us. Forgive us our hatreds, our refusal to see your goodness in others, and our disregard of your creation. Help us to affirm your incarnation, not just in words, but in attitude and deeds. Send your spirit to keep us in that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.